You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway with me, Mark Tuminelli. I'm sorry I've been away for a little bit. I've been working on lots of projects and directing a lot of things, all very exciting stuff in my life, but that doesn't leave enough time to podcast. And this is really the world's greatest time suck. I do love doing it, but I'm back this week with an all new episode and we are celebrating our second anniversary and our 65th episode today. So thank you to everyone who's been along the journey. I will be back, not every week, but at least a couple of times a month to give you some amazing stories from backstage on Broadway and the kids who live through it. But today's guest is so unbelievably exciting to me. She is the one that started it all, the child star that changed every child star on Broadway. We have Andrea McArdle. Andrea McArdle originated the title role in Annie in 1977 and became the youngest performer ever to be nominated for a Tony Award as Best Leading Actress in a Musical. She then went on to perform that role in London's West End. On Broadway, she has starred in Starlight Express, State Fair, Les Miserables, and Disney's Beauty and the Beast. She starred as Sally Bowles in the National Tour of Cabaret and alongside Carol Channing and Leslie Uggams in Jerry Herman's musical review, Jerry's Girls. She played the role of Judy Garland in the NBC made-for-TV movie Rainbow and as the show-stopping star-to-be in Rob Marshall's film remake of Annie. Some of her other credits include playing the title role of Mame, Hello Dolly, Peter Pan, and Evita at major regional theaters. On PBS, she has appeared in Andrew McCardle on Broadway and the Leading Ladies of Broadway, one of the best concerts that has ever happened. Miss McCardle has performed in concert halls from Carnegie Hall to the best showrooms in Las Vegas, the Metropolitan Opera House, as well as the White House. She spills it all in the next hour and 20 minutes, and you are going to love it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of my journey for the last two years. And sit back, relax, and enjoy the queen, Andrea McArdle. Hello, little me listeners. I have a pretty incredible guest with me today to celebrate my two-year podcast anniversary and my 65th episode, a woman who needs no introduction, especially to the little me listeners. Please welcome legend, Andrea McArdle. Hi. Hi, I'm finally here. (laughs) You're finally here. I've been trying to get you here for two years. I know. And I wore you out. I broke you down. No, you know what happened? I listened to a few of your podcasts of a few of my girls, my bestie, Shelly Bruce, and a yes. little Alicia Morton. And i that's why I wanted to do it. Well, you're really I'm good so at what glad. you do. Thank you. I love doing this, but you are like the primo ultimate number one <laughs> guest that I needed here. It was like you and Debbie and I, I got Miss Gibson. I had to get Miss McArdle. Okay. Miss so, Gibson, if you're nasty. If you're nasty yeah. and she's not. Um, no, okay, she's the so, best. No, she's lovely. She's a, all right. We have to, we have so much to cover. Let's go back before Annie growing up in Philadelphia non-showbiz parents, where did this kid come from that just started like probably singing and dancing in every room of the house, listening to the Supremes? Talk to me what was happening in your childhood living room that made your parents be like, 
we got to get this kid on stage. Well, it happened to be the Supremes, uh, baby. No, I've done my research. Yeah. And that was it. And it, it was so huge for me that, you know, that epiphany, like that bubble pop that like, you know, the angels singing and everything. And, and it was such a strong visceral reaction. And I knew then I didn't know what would happen, but I knew if I did that, I'd be really happy. Like I'd be really happy for a long time. And you you know what? I still am. Music makes me happy. My parents were such music freaks and we also didn't have a lot of money. So I think that, you know, when you, when you see talent that comes from, you know, the Rocky mountains or, or, you know, like, like down South and, and, and country and Dolly Parton and everything, they sat around even going back to the Waltons. It's, it's a part of the fiber of, of American, you know, existence. And we've kind of lost that with technology and all these things that, you know, it's like sensory overload. But when you go back and like the the power, you know, the power's out and everything, somebody picks up a guitar and you're all sitting there, you're making, you know, you're having a great time. It's like the, the basic, it's like the basis of how this all kind of started. Now tell me about the Al Albert show, because it's come up a lot on this podcast, Jared Spector, a lot of, a lot of our friends well, started on the Al Albert say, show. My my luck in New York was a hell of a lot better than my luck on the Al Albert Showcase. Andrew <laughs> McArdle had a real tough time booking a spot on there. I'll tell you why. Because think of Shirley Temple, think of all think of um toddlers and tiaras. Yeah. That's what Al Albert Showcase was. And okay. that's exactly what Andrea would never be. You couldn't <laughs> make me, you couldn't force me. But you know what? It's so true. Be yourself do yourself. And I used to get so upset. I never got the Barbie commercials. I never got the little doll commercial. What did I get? Band-Aids, bounty paper towels, like stride, right? Lucky charms, you know, I I mean like, but it, but it's exactly what ended up making me perfect for the role of Annie that like, who knew it was around the corner, who knew it was like, you know, that close around the corner would have been nice (laughs) to have a little bit more time. You would go on that show and like just sing with him. Is that what that used Al to be? Al Alberts used to have a group of little little kids. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on their name. Uh, and then they had the middle girls, and then they had the gold diggers, who were basically like, um, you know, like, like uh, I don't know, like laughing folly girls. If I could, got it. Like a weird, you know, with the all go-go things that boots. would never happen today a in lot a million of big years. Hair. Like they look like football cheerleaders, but with a little more clothes. That's it. Oh my God, and and everybody, you know, they would sing songs like "Hey Daddy, I Want a Diamond Ring" bracelets and everything. <laughs> but the little kids, um, they were they were. I mean, all the kids were beautiful and really talented. I mean, look at Jared Spector. He and yeah. I mean, and just I mean, you couldn't like the cute was up to stun level. But I wouldn't sing five foot two eyes of blue coochie 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 coo. I'd be like, uh, not today. Not today, Mary. Not so what today. did you sing on that show? Well, I wanted to sing things like um, uh, Abraham Martin and John and, and Jim Croce and Bobby Darren and Louis Armstrong and, you know, and or knowing when to leave. I got love. And they wanted, you know, and then so my mom kind of steered me and dad into, you know, some like more popular. They tried to get me into the, what I loved was the big band stuff and standards. Yes. So we kind of made, you know, a happy medium, but I was raised in Philly and it, it, at that time in Philly, the best music in all the world was coming right from here. 
and the Sound of Philadelphia, the South Soul Orchestra and all that. And yeah. my teachers, my singing teacher, Russ Faith, his brother, Jack Faith and Richie Rome, they wrote all of that South Soul Orchestra. And he arranged every single song, like the string charts for, you know, Gamble and Huff and Games People Play and McFadden and Whitehead and all that stuff. So Broadway really isn't to do Broadway, to be in it and to to be in the show is the best thing that God ever created other than dogs and babies. But (laughs) I don't know. It's, um, it's, uh, that music is so ingrained in your soul. It's very obvious. I mean, I will forever love Broadway, but it's not what I, I don't like to listen to it when I'm not working doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love to go see it and everything, but that's not my, that's not my genre. And I think it's nice because I love so many different kinds of music. That, I mean, my playlist is is like there's no lane. It's, you know. It's all it's over. So you were doing yeah. like regional theater. You were in The King and I. You were on a like a soap opera the- called Search for Tomorrow. Tomorrow was going to be a big word in your life. I had yes. you not known that. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was Mickey Rooney's Downingtown Inn in um, Downingtown, Pennsylvania. And I got the role of Princess Ying Yawalak. Great. You know, with like green eyes and like light hair, and yeah, yeah. and it's a different was, time audience. Apparently, I was the most exotic thing going, and my mother would put my hair up in a top knot and spray it with the Nestle streaking tips. Oh, God, and never real. I never realized when she would take it down, and I'd go to church that I literally had tie dyed hair. It was like all the rage. It was crazy, but um, but that was the only experience that I had before Annie. That that was the only show. So in 1976, your world would change. You were cast as an orphan in the new musical based on the comic strip Little Orphan Annie. And we all know what happened to that show. But tell me about what was happening when you booked this thing. You were about to, you know, go spend a summer at Goodspeed and work workshop a kind of a new musical. What did you know about it? What did Where were you then? You know, I had a nice contract on CBS uh, for Search for Tomorrow. And it's so interesting because... A lot of people would have never gone up to Connecticut, you know, to do a, a, a wannabe musical, a little part in a wannabe musical, because I had a contract and I had, you know, responsibilities there, which is when they made the switch for me to go to Annie, I couldn't dye my hair because I was a brunette and I was really Still a brunette. Still on that show. Wow. Yes. Okay. So my mom said, well, we're not, we're, you know, we're not dyeing her hair for a, like a summer musical. No, we can't. So she was a hairdresser, actually. So she tried to henna the hair and... And then we use the Nestle streak in tips. And the worst thing that I've ever done, well, maybe not the worst, but one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst pranks I've ever done was I knew for a fact that there was no other hairspray with the hair dye in it in Old Saybrook, New Haven, Hartford. I knew because I heard my mom on the phone saying, that's the last can of Nestle streak in tips in all of Connecticut. I'm going to have to go back to New York to get, to get the Addy hairspray. And I heard the conversation and I, I said to my friend, Janine Ruane, I said, if this can goes away, I said, Annie's going to be a brunette. And we were kids. We were so not professional. We were horrible. Yeah. You know, I mean, Ashton Kutcher has nothing on me. Like we were, we were the original, <laughs> the pioneer pranksters. The original you know? bad boys. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I threw it. I, we, we went out on, on the, uh, on the terrace up there and I threw it in the Connecticut river. Annie was a brunette that show. 
Oh my God. All right. Yeah, I got so my butt go, we, real bad. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So you started as an orphan, which some people know, obviously the fans of the show know. And then after about a week of performances, you got bumped up to Annie. Do you remember what that conversation was like with Martin Chernin? Was was it something that you thought would be possible? No, it was not a thought in anyone's head. And if you're ever in a musical, if you have a bevy of kids or a little posse of girls or boys or both, they know everyone's lines. They know when somebody forgets. They know when a beat goes on too long because they're 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 like animals. They're creatures. It's what we all have to when we're older to get back to like real play. Yeah. You know, I always remind myself: be where your feet are. If you're where your feet are you know, you're not going to be five other places. You got to be there. But, um, so I remember him pulling me into Michael Price's office and sitting me on his lap. And he said, listen, we're going to make a change here. Do you think that you can be Annie? I said, what? I said, he goes, do you think you can do it? And I said, yeah, I can do it. Of course I can do it. I said, we all can do it. I mean, all the kids could do it. Like we all knew, you know, kids are amazing like that. And, um, and it's so interesting because I knew that my best friend, Janine Ruane in that production, who was the original July, was like, she was like, I, I emulated her on the street. Like she had street toughness, like respect in our neighborhoods here. And I was not as cool as Janine. You know, I just wasn't. I mean, a few years down the line. Yeah, I'd give her a run for the money, but I was so uncool. <laughs> but at that moment. And so in about me with Annie, I was negotiating. I said, okay, if Janine can be Pepper, I think we're good. I, I, I was, I was organizing, you know, and negotiating. You're already like the manager of all the yeah. kids. I love yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. So Kristen Vigard left and you took over as Annie. Do you remember that first and performance? Can I, can I just say yes, something please. about Kristen? Kristen was the most beautiful. She was like this ethereal creature, kind of like that Brooke Shields type, just winsome and beautiful. And she was like, we all tried to sound like her. Kristen has quite a sound of her own. It just wasn't right for that. But then right after that, she gets hair on Broadway. Then she gets a huge contract on the guiding light and, and goes on. We did. She she stood by by for you. She She stood by for you on Broadway. And my mother, my mother was instrumental in that. She was like, you know what? That would be a great job for her. That would, that would really that would make this more right. And that's Did what she happened. ever go on? You know what? No one can uh, no one can confirm this for me. I'll tell you what they did that was kind of lousy to me. They would not teach anybody the first act, any of the covers, because they wanted tomorrow from moi. And yeah, okay. it was a hard it was a hard song. It's a hard it's still a hard song to sing. But you think of that with no microphones eight times a week. It's, it's stamina is what it is. It's, it's yeah. the stamina. And I was a gymnast. I was incredibly strong. And the way, the way I sing is very physical. So it really helped me. And although I had no stage experience doing three days a week on a soap opera, you learning, learning, learning. It's really, yes. we used to have 17 yeah. pages of rewrites a day. And yeah. Thank God Mike Nichols, you know, just fell upon this show and, and wanted for it to, you know, to see it to fruition because they were so talented, Martin, Tom, and Charles, and they were just, it was, they were just drowning in this show. Martin was sleeping on the floor of his 850 Avenue, 857th Avenue <laughs> his office. office. Yeah. yeah. And like in the same jeans and jacket and clean t-shirt. But I mean, th- this was it. It was like do or die. 
And, um, and Mike came and it was just so necessary because it's just like anybody observing two steps back. You have a much clearer vision. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, it, it's Mike Nichols. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, so we should probably trust what he thinks. Shall we ever get yeah. that brilliant? <laughs> we, I know, we right? Try. We try. Yeah. So he, they had so many things going on. They also had a love affair between Daddy Warbucks and Annie and Daddy Warbucks and possibly Grace. So the brilliance of Mike Nichols to, to like just pare it down into like only what's necessary and words chosen so carefully. That's what he was like, just brilliant with just whittling away this stuff. Yes, it may be entertaining. It's getting in the way of your story. Mm -hmm. And that's where it was like, we had, you know, we had God sitting with us. It was. And when you finished this, this time at good speed, did you know that you were going to DC and Broadway or did you think that the chapter was closed? What did you know when that first chunk was done? There was, I mean, there was definitely buzz and, you know, I mean, I, I didn't really wasn't aware of the buzz. Like I would be if I were, you know, like older, you know, yeah. an adult. I mean, you know, I mean, we were just having a ball doing what we were doing. And the fact that there were other kids in the show, you know, it was, it was just really, really fun, but we, we weren't sure, but they, you know, they, they said, go home. We're trying to raise all the money. And I go home and it's so weird when you're hot, you're hot. I go home and like a week into being home, I get a call for welcome back hotter for Horshack's little sister. Well, I forgot all about Annie. I, I, it was just <laughs> like, it was such a, you know, just a little flash in the pan just like summer camp. And I had a satin Vinnie Barbarino pillow on my bed at the time. It was, wow. it was my Brady Bunch. It was my friends. Yeah. It was, you know, it was that show. And, um, and so I didn't care a lick about, you know, I hadn't had a stage experience, like a Broadway experience. So what did I know? Dumb kid. I was like, I made it out to Hollywood. I guess I'll just be here forever. And <laughs> so that went on. And then I got really sick. I got mononucleosis when we were up at good speed. There was a horrible hurricane and, well, long The night story the short, lights went out, it's a good yeah, story. <laughs> night the lights went out and had them, East had them. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. But I got very sick. I got so you guys did an action. Annie performance with no, with basically like a flashlight, <laughs> like a working like, light. Like, like generator floodlights, yes. Wow. I, I do know yeah. that on opening night, the orphanage uh, steps in the facade fell flat on its face and almost killed our conductor, Lynn Craig. Oh my God. Thank goodness. Yeah. It, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was three and a half hours long to the show. Holy. I was reading, I have Martin's uh, biography, his little Annie biography where your name is spelt wrong on every page. Yes. That was a source of contention with my parents for so many years. I mean, look at you. You're so cute. Oh, um, that was the Bob Kelly fright wig. Then, then when the, when the show was absolutely a hit, they went to the amazing Paul Huntley and got and they got the you a, a good anyway. Yes. Okay. So you have this. You do. You raise the money. Obviously, Mike Nichols is attached. You have a new Miss Hannigan. You have a new choreographer. the The show is going to have another sort of tryout in DC, and it explodes there. Literally, the phone lines break for people wanting to see this musical that has some nice reviews, maybe a couple negatives coming out of Good Speed, but. Everyone wants to see what this thing is about. Did you feel then like, oh my God, we're in like this big hit show. When did, when did that start to happen for you? You know what? It never felt any different. Honestly, I, I've thought wow. long and hard about it. It just never did. And it used to irk. It used to aggravate 
Dorothy Loudon so much because she was just, I mean, she was so brilliant and intuitive like that. And, and she knew she, she used to say, and she used to hate if anybody famous was there, which was every day, it was like Michael Jackson, Jackie, you know, Jackie, O, Alice Cooper, oh. David Bowie, Paul McCartney, Streisand, you know, I, I, Muhammad you know, Ali, like in the, the list does not and, stop. Burr Reynolds, <laughs> Sally Field, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's, it, it was, it was insane. I mean, we, we, it got so bad that, that the kids had, um, I told them how to do, you know, second row, like, like, you know, baseball calls. All right. So tell we, the we story. Cause calls. it's really good. So you guys would talk to each other on stage and say like third row up, fourth seat in on the left. Like yeah. and they knew where to find the celebrity. Yeah. yeah they, they, they celebrity watch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh was- my God. I love it. So back to Dorothy, she would get like annoyed that you, you didn't think it was a big deal. There was zero stress on us. And so I do know this now that, that, that I'm an old one. Um, when kids have stress, you absorb it all. You absorb the stress of the situation. Yeah. Certain types of people do. Dorothy was that type. And it used to make her nuts, like make her crazy. Oh and, but God, guess I what? That. I was like, Dorothy, just use it. Just use it. And guess what she did? I love we it. had a great relationship. Me- yeah, tell me more about working with her um, and what that relationship was like because it really Annie and Hannigan have you know obviously enough together that if there's not a connection between these two kids, the show just sort of sort of sinks a little bit. How did she work with you? Yeah, I mean it can get a very stereotypical flat you know relationship yeah. of you know villain you know underdog sweet and, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean to have seen the show without the Loudon factor. I don't know what would have happened. Honestly, to me, I I just don't think it could have happened. Honestly, you know, there was so much, but once you see, I mean, ignorance is bliss. You know, if you didn't know that that was there, it, it would be okay. But I do think that because that, that once in a lifetime, perfect performance, like with every ingredient with her, I don't think the show would have lasted all these years in that delicious way because yeah. it, because of the political undertones, great performances, <laughs> damn great book, incredible score. You still, it, 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 it's not a kiddie show because of that factor. You know, it, it just elevates it into another uh, realm. And is it hard to be the star? I mean, it's called Annie, um, the star of the show when there are these other adults that are kind of having to support this kid. You know, this had not happened on Broadway like this ever. Um, I don't think as an actor, and and I really, I really think that theater, it, it, it taught my daughter respect for any job. It's just, there's a certain sense of professionalism and confidence that you need, which is why I think, even if you did one show as a child, community theater, whatever, it's a, it's a really good thing for building character and, and, and confidence and, and social skills, which people are really, you know, seriously lacking these days. Oh my God. So talk to me about this opening night on Broadway, which had to have been like an unbelievable dream for a kid to just sort of be the star of a show, have last bow in a musical on Broadway, have everyone be obsessed with it. And then what that experience was at, you know, immediately following that. Tell me about what you remember from opening night of Annie. Well, first thing I used to hate having the last bow. It used to make me feel really conspicuous because at that point, and then I realized, why did I 
why do I hate the bow so much? It's because the character Annie was uh, like the show was over and I was bowing as Andrea and Andrea didn't yeah. like it. So it's so, but all these things like occur to you when you're so young and it's not until like 20, 30 years later that you actually figured out, but it's kind of cool going back, you know, hindsight and why it was so much fun. I mean, it also, it's like Annie can be only described to the kids today as like the Hamilton of its time. I mean, it's hard to sort of really explain what a big deal this was and how you were well, like everywhere. Wicked, or, like Wicked yeah. or the producers, these shows transcended yeah. theater and they became property of the world, you know? Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. How did your parents and your brother, you have a brother, right? Yes, my younger brother. How, how did your parents and your brother sort of deal with this star? I mean, you were... This was like very big. I mean, I watched you on a ton of like, you know, old talk shows. You were, they put, they put you everywhere and you were, you were everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of exposure. Um, and it was so, I mean, cause, and everybody saw it back then because you only had, you know, three UHF channels and three main network channels. And that's all, that's, that's it. If you didn't see it when it was yeah. on, I, I remember my dad getting the first Betamax because I was on all these things. He, he always, you know, I mean, I learned to sing with the reel-to-reel tape and, and, and the radio, you know, and, and 45s. But um, he had the first Betamax in the neighborhood. And that was like a huge deal. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's, you saw it. Like when we would watch Carol Burnett's show, you had to be there. It was an event. Yeah. Which I never missed. So people know who you are now. How do your parents, like, handle that? And still be well, parents and still have a job and still, you know, that's such a tricky thing to navigate. Yeah, they were very careful. Um, you know, it always makes me nervous when a kid has some success and then both parents quit their jobs and then they have other, you know, family members. And, yeah. and I just, I, I, I thank my parents like so, so much. The fact that I was always their daughter before any, any kind of commodity and my gosh, I mean, I was so on fire. And I think now if, if the Disney channel had been around, if all these things, because I was so hot yet there were no properties on Broadway for me to be in. Yeah. No writers were funded. Nothing was happening. Think of Lori Beachman, that incredible talent, all of those women, you know, Nancy Lamont, like, there were no vehicles, LaChance, like there were no vehicles for us, you yeah. know? And that, and, that, really and that was hard. That. I mean, yeah. how lucky Kristen and Adina were that there was a wicked and that, that they were doing vehicles for people. If they didn't do a vehicle for Kristen Chenoweth, 
chances are you could go 10 years and not fit into an existing show. Yeah. You know, it's just, I mean, it's so different now. I mean, you, you get a little Broadway success, you go right to a TV show. It feels like, and then in the eighties that never happened and in the seventies, it would be, you know, here and there. It's just, uh, it's crazy to see how the industry changes so much every decade of what's, if Broadway matters or not. And it's right. just like a, in the, in the larger universal uh, scheme. Broadway was such a mystery then. I mean, we were all dancing on the head of a pin. There were, you know, the same 13 guys produced everything any of us had ever seen. And the first corporate Broadway show that I was in, and I saw the whole energy, and it was like the end of an era. You know, you're, you're David Merricks and, and, you know, Jerry Schoenfeld, like all, the, all those, great, those great guys that, like, were, you know, fixtures. And then it was Landmark Entertainment, American Express, this and that. And it was, what a a turnoff, what a turnoff to me. What a turnoff. You know what? What's so cool to me is that you also got a Tony nomination for your performance. You're the youngest person still in history to get nominated for Best Actress in a Musical. What do you remember about the Tony process? Well, my father pointed out to me, maybe, maybe 20 years after the show, and I said, you know, it's so because all these kids now are getting like they share the role and they get these. Are they honorary Tonys or Tony? Yeah, ones? it's like a certificate or something. Like you kind of win a Tony. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. No, they me tried, neither. And you know what? They tried to do it with me. I was the first one they wanted to do that for. And my father said, "No, she's not like an animal or anything. She's not a junior. She's an actor in the musical, just like everyone else." So there's a rule. If you are the title character, you cannot be nominated in supporting category. I think that's a dumb rule. It's a dumb rule. It, yeah. it, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that was, you know, that was created. Who, who knows? But it would have been great. She should have won the leading lady, Tony. I should have gotten the supporting award, but it doesn't. I mean, I was more upset about not getting Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz in my eighth grade. Then I was about a Tony Award. Tony meant nothing to me. It's 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 another yeah. statue. I had a ton of them, you know, from sports. Did you and like, like? Did you like like the process of you know the luncheon and getting your dress and that experience? I like the social aspect of all of it. So you, mm-hmm. I'd be sitting there with like Colleen Dewhurst and Joe Papp and and you know and Tommy Toon and uh, you know Lillian Montebecki and Don, you know and these were like. These were like, you know, hey, that's my uncle, my aunt. You know, like it was like family. Yeah. It was like family. And um, I hear, I've always, I've heard this story, I think from Shelly, that used to get in trouble for either skateboarding or roller skating to like the Tony rehearsal. And everyone was like, oh my God. All, yeah. I skateboarded <laughs> all all over New York. And um, so it was so bad when when I was like, I don't want to be recognized. I would take a cab from, from 43rd and 9th Manhattan Plaza to the Grace Building. Wasn't that only three long blocks? I would yeah, take I a so. cab to go skateboard. You can't fix stupid, you know? <laughs> oh my God, I love it. But but Mike so Nichols much. Mike Nichols took my skateboard and put it behind his desk in his office and I was livid. I was furious. So I was like, well, if we can't do that, we found a million other, you know, uh, mischievous things to do. And they said we weren't allowed to get tan. But my friend Janine Ruane smartly pointed out to me, they didn't say anything about a spray tan. They said, we can't lay in the sun. And so, ding, ding. So who came on stage that night? You should get spray 
orange no. face. <laughs> I was, I mean, I'm a lot of Irish. Like that's, that's what I, years ago, it, everybody looked like, you know, the band Soleil had, I mean, you definitely look Brazilian, <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally chocolate. Well, I was like an Oompa Loompa. So put a red oh fright God. wig on and a red dress. That was a great look. Yeah. So once the Tony stuff ends and you perform at the Tonys and it's a legendarily exciting, it's like 20 minutes of Annie at the Tonys. It's never happened again. Like I, so many numbers. This, I still to this day remember the feeling and I have never, ever seen myself have to breathe like that because it was almost, the excitement was almost too much for me to, to, to take any more on. I was full. You know, and I could see it in my face. And, and it's so interesting at the end when I take a breath and they're moving on, I take it, I take this sigh because you do feel that this is something like you've never done before. I guess it's close to an inauguration feel as like, yeah, or, you know, a swearing in because it was palpable that, that, like that feeling of like, just like fire in the, you know, it was just, it, just the energy was like crazy. And I remember it to, to this day. And after all of this, you kind of go back to having to do the job, which is play Annie eight times a week with no microphone. No, there's no alternate. This is a very different time of, of the career. How did you sustain that level of showing up, singing like that, being present and also being a kid and school? And all I, I did was be, a, all I did was be a kid. I was one of the, i always say this in any master classes that I teach. It's really good to have an abundance of energy to do theater in general. I mean, just the steps, forget the choreography on stage. You know, there's a lot of, you know, up and down, you're moving a lot. And I have severe ADD, which I was never really diagnosed till I was you know, like in my twenties. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't big in the seventies. You were hyper, you were hyperactive. Yes, hyperactive, yes. I have serious ADD and I thank God for it every day because I really do think it, it's, it's what I was never tired. Well, I mean, I did drink a whole can of Hawaiian punch and a big Hershey bar <laughs> before every show. So I'm sure that helped, but I was never tired. I've never, never warmed up nothing. You know, it, it, it's use it or lose it when you're, when you're singing that much. Um, it's so it's, it's like it's like weightlifting, you know, you, you're, yeah. your whole, your whole instrument, but your ability, hot, top form. Your ability is very special. I, you know, I work with kids for a living and I just, it's very rare that someone could do what you were able to do. That level of stamina, like your vocal cords have been blessed. God spent a little extra time on you and there's no, like, remember, there's something that you know how to do. Yeah. But remember kids are so big now they cast Annie. I think, I think it was Brittany Kissinger. Sweet she was like little eight, thing. right? She was, she was really young. Yeah. I get, if I'm nervous that they're, something's going to like decapitate when they, when they hitting like the D natural, it, I got nervous as a mother, you know, it's a little young, but you know, they do what they have to do. It's the growth hormone in, in the milk and, and chicken and everything. And literally yeah. I was 13 an eight-year-old compared to a 13-year-old, you can't compare, you know? Yeah. And so people don't, People used to always say, you're so smart for your age and you're so talented. I said, no, I'm just short. I'm just little. I just look young. 
And I used to say it all the time because I could, I, I still can't handle the compliment well, but um, I, I can still hear my mom saying, shut up and say thank you. Just, just say thank you. Um, yeah, can't do it. So watching you on all these appearances, obviously you did Carson, you did the Mike Douglas show, you performed with Liberace, you... There was something about you that felt very adult. You would sit down with someone. I watched an interview with you and Reed and um, and Dorothy in in um, in Stuber Alley, and you're yeah. just like shooting, you're shooting the shit. You're like, oh, I came back from vacation. You are so relaxed and and seem to be comfortable in all those situations. Is that really what you were thinking, or? Talk to me what was happening in your head during all those appearances. You know, years ago, kids weren't allowed to do anything like they are now. You didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have this or play dates and make appointments. Like it was such an innocent, different time. And I was just floored. I was, I was like, wow, I love my life right now that adults would be talking to me. I just got a huge kick out of that. That, And I never, I, I, I really liked like that shop talk, but I, you know, I'd been sitting around for a year watching Martin Charn and Mike Nichols, like Tom Meehan and all these, you know, all these guys, you know, talking, talking shop and everything. And I just, I love, I realized though, it's the process of putting it together that I really love. And that's when you know you're like where you should be. It's it, all the other stuff I put up with, you know, the um, recognition and everything has zero, zero appeal. Yeah. And I think that might be because I had a whole bunch of it. Try adolescing when people are watching you. It's, it, it, it was, it's very, it's very hard to do, you know? Tell me about Liberace. He obviously loved you and you. And I uh, loved him. How, yeah. How could you not? What was that experience like for you? It was such a strange thing when, when, I was writing a report on a, a big one. And I was getting, you know, trying to get my head back into school on JFK and the LBJ conspiracy. And I was like, wow, to do this right is going to take a long time. Like I would equate it to like probably four weeks, like a full rehearsal of a musical. All my analogies had to do with, with, with musicals. musicals. Yes. And phone rings, William Morris. They're like, Hey, Liberace wants you to come out. And, and I said, I can't open for Liberace. I said, I can't handle that. And they're like, no, no, no. He, you come out. I said, I'm not going to open for Liberace. That would be too hard. <laughs> I thought I'd be open the opening act. And mm-hmm. he, he presents you as a protege. So it was this amazing thing. The, the New York City, the Rockets and the Dancing Waters and Liberace. And I remember my first thing on stage was a 12-minute Barry Manilow medley. <laughs> <laughs> starting with daybreak, you know, oh my, and God, my voice yes. was so high that I used, I said, I sing it in Barry's key, but I sang it the octave above. Oh my God. I didn't like notes in a key that only dogs hear. I think literally. Yes, I love it so but, much. Following the Broadway, uh, run or oh, your Broadway run in Annie, you went and opened the London production, which must've felt like a very out of body experience. It was being no, there was with incredible. different people. Was it? It was incredible because I felt like my Annie, you know, my family, my Annie family, the originals in New York was, you know, it was closed. And I, I knew for six months, I, I, I remember saying to Dorothy Loudon one day, I said, you know what? I'm going to have to leave the show soon. She goes, why? I said, because I peaked. I said, it's just going to get worse from here. I said, it's going to get stale. I said, I think it's going to go really stale. And I said, I don't want to see that happen. I was funny like that. And I meant it. I was I was yeah. dead serious. 
And, but it was very nonchalant. And so she liked me because I, I, you know, I, you're a straight shooter, a straight shooter. Yeah. 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 But, did she but go to London Lenderachi, with you? No, she did not. Oh. Um, a, a fantastic lady named Sheila Hancock, who was, um, you know, on one of those great British, uh, dark comedy shows. And she was fantastic. She had those crazy eyes. She was really it, it, so different. I mean, th- no matter who does it, you ain't never going to get Dorothy. Keep trying. Ain't going to happen. Um, it's very cool that, you know, so few kids have ever transferred with a show to London. It's like unheard of. So to get to do that and close out. And that was basically they the close out nice of the I should have certainly right. had an Olivier award. And uh, yeah, duh. And Jim Henson wrote this huge thing for me to do with the Muppets. And the day before I was about to go film it, um, British equity or, or the, uh, the labor, you know, the child labor laws uh, shut it down. So, you know, that was a drag, but, um, it was a glorious time there. And I think it was really smart for them. If you can watch when you like play tennis with McEnroe or, you know, any, any of the yeah. greats, your game's going to get better to set a template there for kids. Cause it, they didn't have a lot of time, you know, I mean, it's just as hard for them to do a, a, an American accent, a believable one. Like, you know, we think we're speaking British and they would know, know which yeah. part, you know, <laughs> Yeah, South, and, and it turns out when when they're like novices, they all sound like they're from the South. Like, hey, Annie, <laughs> like they're doing all that. That's but the American. Yeah. Was there ever a moment where you were like, I cannot keep doing this. Like, I have to, I have to give this a wrap. I cannot sing this song anymore. I have to let go. It wasn't. It was never the song. It was that. It was the red dress with the with the ankle socks that I was like, you know what? This is getting real old. I don't like it. And then when Daddy Warbucks would pick me up at the end of I don't need anything but you, and I started worrying about, um, you know, the tight, I mean, the uh, the brief showing, I was like, yeah, you're right. too old for you're this. Like, you got to go. I'm the only go. kid, I think, who ever, like, was like, hooray, hooray, yay, <laughs> it's over. But I mean, it's not over. I, I loved every, you know, millisecond. But you were ready. You were ready for the next thing. And I could imagine that you would feel like, there was so much attention that the next thing was around the corner and it was, which was the TV movie rainbow, which I love very much um, yes. where you sang 900 songs in a 90 minute made for TV movie. And, and the worst Judy thing, Garland. yeah, the worst thing was I went and recorded a reference vocal. So for people who don't know what a reference vocal track is, it would be all the songs you're going to be singing in, um, and get your gun. And so you're doing a reference track, um, so that you don't have to sing it every single time, but it's just a reference track. Well, they thought it was so good. They didn't want to spend the money. We knew nothing. My parents, we didn't know how to protect myself like that. So it was like, learn as you go. And I have never gotten over it. I've never gotten over that. And the only horrific experience as a child, somebody who really wanted to mess, like really wanted to screw with my head, was Jackie Cooper, the most disgraceful, disgraceful guy, sick, twisted guy, because it was an enchanted, it's a business, but my whole experience up until that, I didn't realize what that really did to me as an actor at that, at that very sensitive time. Uh But, but to have only one director and one experience like that, man, am I lucky. I thank my so lucky the, stars. The rainbow experience was, yeah. must, it must feel like it heavy. Was amazing. Or fe- 
No, I and the, a lot yeah. of it I didn't really realize until after when you examine, you know, the situation. He would say, stare at that spot on the wall. We're going to line up the shot. So I'd stare at the spot on the wall and he'd say, that's a wrap. We got it. He was he was screwing with me. And I don't know whether it's a left-handed Scorpio that I am, but you know what? I don't care how old you are, who you are, whatever. I have a very hard, t- I don't have a filter there because I know that's not right. Yeah. And, and I just, it's, I can handle it, keep it coming, keep it at me, but I want, and this is true to this day of me. I want people to know, do what you're doing. You want to, you want to be a jackass like that and go do that. But when they mess with the child, I got a real problem with that. It's not okay, but you're brilliant in the movie and the music, you sound on that rough demo scratch recording that they use. You sound like a heavenly dream. So everyone give it, you can watch a bunch of it on YouTube. And I actually, I had made an audio recording from the television. This is how sick I am, Andrea. Wait, but wait. I no, wanted that not, recording. <laughs> you're not the only one I have. I sign them at shows like, like the old, like, you know, mixtapes that like yeah rainbow carson tapes rainbow Griffin tapes <laughs> I, it's so funny but um but you're singing like stormy weather you're singing like saw and you sound amazing It's a very cool part of your legacy and also to play Judy Garland. Like there's very few people who can say they've played Judy Garland on a major level and you are one of them. Well, I only said yes because we didn't know better. You know, those are impossible yeah. shoes to fill. And I had such an incredible experience in theater and and I had an incredible experience on the soap opera because they're soap people are they're they're a real family and they go on for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years. So they're all, they're like well-oiled machines. and But they were very happy that I got the role of Annie because turns out I wouldn't have been able to have a boyfriend for, oh my gosh, like seven, eight years. They're not going to be selling a lot of soap with the way I looked. No boyfriend. <laughs> like, you are not a desirable for the soaps. No. You need a Kristen Vigard and, and okay. my friend Lisa Peluso who replaced me. We had the same manager. She's from Philly. She came out of the womb looking like Elizabeth Taylor. I kid you not. So I tune in after my hair had been chopped in <laughs> in that Dorothy Hamill, Tony Tennille modified wedge, whatever it is, was. Yes. And and Lisa's there looking like Elizabeth Taylor and has a boyfriend. Well, that was Because she replaced you on the soap opera. Yes. Oh my God. All right. Yes. So after Rainbow and the movie comes out, what kind of things are you auditioning for? Did you go back to regular school? How do you- be a normal person after Annie and London and Judy Garland. It just feels like I did go back to school in sophomore year. So Rainbow was right after um, freshman. I entered freshman year of high school during the Broadway run. So in London, I was finishing out 
in June, that was over. And so I went and did Rainbow um, and then started back at school as a sophomore. And then the Liberace thing happened like right away. So that, that was for two years on and off. We do like two, three months at the Las Vegas Hilton. I had the most incredible time, but I was with him with uh, Roger Vorce, Seymour Heller, Scott Thorson, wow. the whole, that whole movie, which I thought Michael Douglas, I thought they all did an incredible, incredible job. Matt Damon. Whoa. Amazing. I mean, and you were there. So you, you were I was there. You I was there. And I, I, what I have to say about that situation was there was so much love that when some situation gets so crazy out of whack and everything, all I can say is everybody there, it, it, it was a great time. And, um, none of us could foresee the, you know, the turmoil yeah. that, that ensued after, but they were all lovely people. And, and, uh, Liberace, it was, I, I think of the biggest people that I've worked with would be Carol Channing, Liberace, and you couldn't get, you couldn't get nicer, you know, I mean, you, you couldn't get nicer to work with. Great. And it's, it's like teaches you because you've been a leader in so many companies, which we're going to talk about in two seconds, because following obviously Annie and all these things, you, you know, real theater is theater is the main, you're performing constantly at major regional theaters and going on tour. And of course you come back to Broadway and Starlight Express, which you do for years um, and Beauty and the Beast, which we're going to talk about, but it just feels like these things that you have learned as a kid had to have just cemented who you are as an adult performer. Yes. And I would go and do, um, I thank God for regional theater. Um, I mean, the, the, the direction and the choreography and the costumes that I've even gotten in some of the regional theaters that I've been in would rival a Broadway show. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I thank God because they weren't doing these productions. I got to do Meet Me in St. Louis, uh, Annie Get Your Gun several times. They're playing our song, like all these great, musicals that that um you know you need to get a notch on your belt once you have success they expect a whole lot from you you know do you think it was hard for the industry to see you as an adult probably i mean n- not by the time i was an adult uh-huh. but for instance right after uh, do you remember those century 21 commercials where the little girl would wear that ugly mustard <laughs> jacket and stand and stand on the table and and sing something or she would stand on the table well they century 21 called sam cone at icm was my agent at the time they called and they said some like crazy amount of money i think it was like fifty thousand dollars and that's that was a lot of money then well right right now now it's now it's fine that's so much money right right (laughs) um and they said we wanted to wear the jacket and stand at the um, at the big CEO meeting and sing tomorrow on the table. And I told him to like, I was like, tell him to go shove it right up their yeah, hand. Got it. And when I think of it now, I go, you could have, come on, Andrew, you could have just, it would have been over in like minutes. Come on. That would have been like, you know, a year of college. Or oh whole, my God. It would have been all of college. All but, of college. But, but I used to do things like that. If I didn't want to do it, I would turn it down. And my parents never once said anything like that to me. Ever. That's amazing. I used to get some crazy, like crazy amounts of money to, to come and sing tomorrow at a bar mitzvah. And I was like, no way I wouldn't sing at a communion, a, like a graduation. I was horrible. 
When people go, yeah. you look like Andrew McArdle, I say, oh my God, everybody tells me that. That's so funny. So talk to me about Jerry's Girls, which is was like a big Broadway tour with Carol Channing and Leslie Uggams of all Jerry Herman music. And it was just the three of you and these leggy chorus girls. Um, and you got to do some incredible material. There's a beautiful cast album where all three of you sound like mind-blowing, actually. That was done live in San Francisco. I have it right here. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Like Jerry Girls album. A lot of big hair. It's like the gayest thing I own. Oh, um, gay much? No. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, if if you if you go to someone's house and they have a I'm Jerry's gay. Girls album, they're gay. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about doing that show. <laughs> it was, um, well, you know, my agent said, what a great opportunity for you. And I remember having to go to a, um, a photographer and get like these, you know, adult photos done. So I went to this... His name was Mark Raboy. He he was he had a whole like his style, and he became hugely popular for like I remember Jerry Herman had his photo, and Carol's was done by him, and you know a lot of celebrities. And I I was in his when I saw the photos, I said I think he really I think I think his favorite star is um, Linda Carter, Wonder Woman, because I looked like Wonder Woman, and so I loved these photos. <laughs> Did they look like me? Absolutely not. Like I started getting sent in for Pantene commercials. So I'd walk in with all these models and you know that don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Yeah. Well, they're like, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. I went in and read it. I was like, hey, don't hate me because I'm beautiful, babe. You know, they're like, thank you. Here's your photo. That's when you know your photo is too. If your photo looks like Linda Carter when you're Andrew McArdle, it's not good. Yeah. I'm, I'm so obsessed with all that. All right. So tell me about Carol Channing. Cause obviously you have a love for her. You talk about her a lot in your solo shows. She must've been an incredible person to watch every night, come down those stairs and basically do hello Dolly in front of you. An incredible person to watch, to watch the way she worked on each and every moment until that show closed every single day, honing, whittling, it, it, just the passion and the work ethic. Um, and what I did discover was she was a fashionista so incredibly well read about the early fashion houses of, of you know, Chanel and Giorgio Sant'Angelo and everything. And if I hadn't had the success that I had in Annie, I was, a, I was an artist, a sketcher. I, I probably would have been at FIT because I'm a frustrated, uh, love costumes, designing, you know, even as a kid, even, even my brother's like football soccer uniforms and everything, they were all costumes to me. And I always wanted them. Like I always wanted to wear them, you know? Was Jerry so obsessed with your voice? I'm sure he must've been like, I want her to sing this. I want her to do that. Like he, he loved, he, he, he loved it. And I think there may have been plans for Mac and Mabel, but you know, it was, it was, it was a weird time. 80s, it was a weird time. They were they were starting, they were going to knock down all of the old theaters, like the London yeah. and everything. And so if that had happened, I mean, just think if we had all the theaters looking like the Marriott Marquis, Ugh. like, you know. Sitting yeah, in an tragic. 80s hotel lobby. Tragic. Right, right tragic. Um, you can see from every seat there. I will give them that. Um, yes. There's no, there's no bad seats, but it's the ugliest health theater. And I remember going to see Debbie Reynolds, my first show in New York. I was doing a Prell shampoo commercial the next day. And my mother got tickets to see Debbie Reynolds, Patsy Kelly, Irene Ryan, and Monty Markham in Irene. At the Gershwin, then oh, was it called the Gersh- Uris. Oh, the Uris. Oh, I yeah, thought it was, was Mincy Puff. Is, oh, wait. 
Maybe Annie, I'm wrong. Annie Close. Yeah, there. Annie Close there. So it's it's the Urus. It's the Gershwin. And that's where Scarlet um, Express was when it was the Gershwin. Yes. So you still go up those steps and you see all the skate. You see all the toes of the skates, like the grease in on on the uh, front of the steps. All oh over. Oh my god, the, that's amazing. All over the was building. Starlight a magical experience? I mean, you stayed for you did that show for a long. Amazing, time. amazing. Yes. My agents, and you're a roller skater. It was like a dream. Roller, I, I was a roller skater. You know, I mean, I remember Linda Ronson on that cover in those satin blue shorts with the uh, you know baby blue roller skates, and so I was out in LA doing all the Carson and all that stuff, and. We went to Venice Beach and got myself a pair of those baby blue suede's, and that's where I used to roller skate every Saturday morning at home here. You know, just like kids would go yeah, ice skating or roller me too. skating. So I went every Saturday wheels. morning at ten a.m. I yeah. roller skated. Yeah, it was Us. amazing. And okay, so keep going. <laughs> and so, um, so my agents, I, I was actually booked to do Peter Pan all over um, Canada and and England. Mm-hmm for a very nice, very nice chunk of change. And, and I said, no, I wanted, what I really wanted was I wanted to be in an ensemble piece because everyone was always like, Oh, she's so stuck up and everything. They, it's what people say. Oh, I hear that she's, you know, so-and-so that was really important to me because I knew I wasn't. And, and the people that knew you just wanted to do the work you wanted, I I wanted, I wanted include, I wanted to be included with the group. I didn't want to be isolated. And in the star dressing room, I wanted a little balance. And so I considered starlight to be my, you know, sorority, my universe, you know, like college. And I was so so glad I did it. I, it's amazing. Now the nineties, two thousands were kind of nonstop time for you. You did Les Mis with your daughter on Broadway and you played Fontaine. Um, and I was a mom. I mean, I, and I had two stepsons who were seven and nine when Alexis was born. So oh my God. yeah, I mean, I was, you know, and I think, I think because I was, I had been so many places and done so many things that people don't do till they're like 35. I had done it all by like 19. It felt yeah. like, and I, I really wanted kids really wanted kids. So I, I met my husband by accident and literally in six weeks we were engaged. It was that instant. I knew in 10 seconds, I was like, that's the one I'm getting. We're going to get married. I knew How it. did you, how did you decide to do to do uh lame is with Alexis? Was that something that was like offered up as a pair deal? No, I was in the show and she was four years old and came to see me as Fontaine and she had seen me in all, I mean, every show I'd ever been in and never, never showed any interest. And the show that where everyone dies at least once was the show that she was like, I have to be in the show. I have to be Cosette. She also looked so, I mean, she looked like you plucked her right off of the poster with the, I love it with those puppy dog eyes and that long, you know, that long hair. Um, and so she said, I want to be Cosette. I said, well, you can't be Cosette till you're seven. So I went, I, did the show for a year and whatever, and then left. And she's, we're, we're doing state fair actually. And yeah. she's about to turn seven. She said, I can be Cosette now. I want to be Cosette. So then you went back and did it with her. So when we were, we were on tour a year on pre-Broadway tour. And when the show went to Broadway, I ended up breaking 20 bones in my foot in right before, like during the matinee. And then we closed four weeks later. So Susan Egan actually came in, to replace me for those four weeks. Cause I had stayed a, fair. Yeah. I had a full leg. Yeah. cast. So, oh my God. so, um, so I had a cast of my leg, the show closes, I've got the summer, you know, Alexis is 
about to turn eight. And she goes, I really want to be Cosette. And I didn't want to say to her, I said, well, I said, you can't just pick up the phone and say, I want to be in the Broadway show. And then you're in the show. And then I thought to myself, I said, but I could call Cameron just for an audition, you know? And so I just didn't want her to think you can pick up the phone and go, oh yeah, I'm ready to go on the show now, you know? (laughs) And it's not that, I mean, it's a big if you have the talent, if you're the right look, if your parents will let, I mean, there's so many ifs. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I figured while I had the cast on, let her do it, you know, for the summer. And Cosette is the best job on Broadway because she gets to leave at 930 at night, which is, you know. And she doesn't have to take a bow. The which dream. Is smart. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah, so it's smart. smart. You know, but of course they all want to stay, you know, they all want to stay and, and hang out. out. Yeah. Yeah. So you you did So I did the show. I did the, the show, show with in, her. No, I did the show in 93, 94, uh, State Fair 95, 96. And so when State Fair closed, she went in and auditioned and then got in the show. So she was eight, she was like two days after her eighth birthday. Wow. And so she was in the show alone. So all the people that I knew over there, and I'd say, oh, hey, Joey. And she'd go, you don't know them. They're my friends. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I get it. I got to pretend. When they'd talk to me, i say, you don't know me. Get away from the car. This is her thing now, okay? <laughs> so I had to pretend not to know anybody because it was it was her party. It was her time. And rightly so. Yes. So one day she came over to me and she goes, she goes, oh, you know, you know, Jimmy, it's Jimmy's son. You know what he said? I, he told me that I beat you to Broadway by five years. I said, oh, Jimmy said that, right? I said, okay, you tell Jimmy. Say, but say, but my mom said, but I wasn't the original. <laughs> it's only funny uh, because it's sick. It's sick. It's, it's, so, mean, it's so showbiz family. It's, it's like And neither one of us care, but I mean, it, it is funny. I know. All right, we have to touch down on a couple of things. I'm like running out of time with you. I'm so obsessed. All right. You do Beauty and the Beast on Broadway for, you're the longest running bell on Broadway. I think so. Um, I don't go around think, checking charts, but if that was- I know, but I'm letting you know. It's the longest I've ever done a show, two years. That's long. And let me tell you, Andrew McCardle, go back, watch those clips today of you as Belle. It is per- Perfection. You are the. I've never heard anyone sing like that. Changing me is like gives you chills watching on a YouTube video. It must have been so fun to be the, this huge Disney musical. Well, first of all, I thought they were calling me for Mrs. Potts, which we know. Like, and I was happy about that because it's a role I still want to do. I love that right. role, and I got to watch Beth Fowler do it. You know, I mean, that's like yeah. that's like watching Angela Lansbury. You know, you're in good company, and um, so I don't know. I mean. I was, I was so beyond, I was like, really? I had to call them and say, are you sure you want me as Belle? Seriously? I, I don't have that, that Disney ingenue voice and mm-hmm. I can do a poor, I, I, I'd be a poor man's, I, I can do it. It's, I'm not as good as almost all of the others. And so I just said, you know, you're handed a role like this. Belle, you know, on the outside, she looks, you know, like the ingenue and everything. But I mean, she's a spitfire. She is scrappy, full of grit. And and so I hadn't seen a performance. And I said, it's been done the other ways. I mean, it, yes, yeah. I can fit into that mold. And yes, at your job as an actor, it, you know, the director, if he wanted me to do that, they did want me to sing in that ingenue voice. So when you've been around the block and you're what, 38 years old and you have like, a lot of experience. What did I do? I was really smart. It turns out it was the fifth year anniversary. So all the big wigs, Roy Disney, Michael Eisner, all, um, 
Lynn Whitfield with UNICEF. It was like yeah. big deal, big deal. And at my put-in, Michael, I, I saw all the Disney, you know, corporate heads in the back. And so I had the orchestra for my put-in. And so I said, can I just show you one time how I would do it? Because I knew they were all there. So I belted the whole thing. And I saw in there, and Michael Eisner walked down to Michael Cosner and he says, don't ever do it the other way again. And I was like, cha-ching, no shutting Thank up, you. no warming up, nothing. I slowly understood my perfect world out there had And you belt the whole thing. And it is so thrilling. Uh, um, you know, it, and I think it changed the way little girls, I think it changed the way other little girls, I mean, little girls, you know, I call them little girls because the, they're usually the way in their that 20s. People sing it. Like, and also what I think is so special about that is like, you are the entree for all these kids in the seventies to fall in love with Broadway. And then all these kids in the nineties to fall in love with Broadway. <laughs> and it's like one common denominator is Andrew McArdle. And it's like a very, very special thing. Well, Seth Rudetsky refers to it as the red album, you know, the Annie album, yeah. because I can't even tell you how many big stars I've signed their albums when, you know, when they're, when they have their braces on and they're walking around like, you know, like theater geeks with that red album and say, Hey, now the theater geeks are cool. <laughs> it is very cool. The um, we have we have to do quick fire questions, but I just want to touch down very quickly on the 1997 revival of Annie, with the whole Joanna Pasidi situation, and you very publicly stood up and said, "This is not okay." And I'm sure that that was probably like a scary thing to do to like not to 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 take a stand against this sort of like terrible thing that it, was happening. It's the way I've always been. Doesn't matter what the loss is for me. And it turned out it was a big loss for me because U.S. Healthcare was using Tomorrow. They were using Maurice Chevalier, Thank Heaven for Little Girls, and Tomorrow, a major, major commercial on, you know, on, on the Super Bowl, like th that kind of commercial. Yeah. And that's 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 substantial money. Uh, because I stuck up for her, they pulled it right away. They pulled, mm -hmm. they pulled Tomorrow right away. And would I do it again? Absolutely. Yeah, and it turns out my really good friend, our moms went to Hallahan together. They grew up in Fairmount, Philadelphia yeah. together. She was her manager, Patty Claffey. And, um, you know, it, it's like the same thing when it's a business and there are children involved. It's still a business. And, you know, don't, don't, you know, tread those waters. If, you know, it, it, even if you're a kid, it's still a business. So I understand why people don't want to get you know, their, their kids involved. I mean, I yeah, just know how enriching and I know how life altering it is to get an experience. You don't need to be doing it year in, like week in, week out, but just, you know, I'm just really keen on all kids trying everything, you know, then, yeah. then you're really going to find out where you soar. Well, you did, you've done so much incredible work since Annie and, and since Beauty and the Beast and you're on tour with Cabaret, which is also some videos you should watch because they're pretty incredible. You're an unbelievable Sally Bowles. Um, 
And you're one of the best-selling concert performers working today. I mean, this is, people come out in droves to see you at Green Room in 54, and you deliver every time. And it feels like a great joy to watch you get to do that. And um, I'm just wondering what you want people to take away from your most recent album, Sunny, uh, 70s and Sunny, which is great, and the, and the work you're doing currently doing these great concert gigs. Well, I have, it was the hardest thing a little room like that, I would rather be in front of 50,000, 3,000, 10,000. And the hardest thing when you are as young as I was to is to do like a small club room. That is the scariest by far than anything. So now it feels like my living room. And I realize you need to have lived and had a, and had a really good career. When you're young, you go on and you do, you show them how talented you are. So it's a discovery of sorts. But when any, when it's a seasoned performer, there are a million things that you can talk about. I don't, I'm one of those people. I don't write anything down. I don't, you know, I have to look at my song list. This is way I don't get stale. I'm no good when I'm stale because I, you know, that ADD, I'm like, you know, squirrel, <laughs> you know, I see something else. Well, you are, it's so dynamic. So everyone should go see you whenever you're performing anywhere. You like, you blow up the whole room and it is truly thrilling. And I'm doing a um, new, a new act ooh. with John Lloyd Young. Ooh. And I got to tell you, we, 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 we tried it out and we did, we sang together and we did, we're, we're doing like more like Tammy Terrell, Marvin Gaye yes, kind of stuff I'm into and Roberta it. Flack. And, and it's, it's really good. You'd be hard pressed. I mean, you're talking people like, you know, Sierra Boggess and Norm Lewis. John Lloyd Young sings that well. It's yeah. so nice. It's just, it's so nice. I That theater voice, if you're not in the theater in a book show, I never like two legit sounds when you're, when you're not in, you know, playing the character and everything. That It's just, it never flowed at my boat. And he's got such appeal because you don't, he's in a lot of lanes, like wherever he chooses, he's that good that, that you know, it's like Kelly Clarkson and people like that. They can sing anything. Sing anything. That's the mark of a great singer. Um, Andrew, when you look back at all of this work and you've been working the theater, what it, what was the amount of years you figured out today? This is my 50th. Okay. You've been working in the, I couldn't even say it. It sounded wrong. Right. 50 years in this. Can you think of one thing that you would tell that little girl going a good speed for the summer that you wish you could have told her? I really can't. <laughs> I really can't. Like I, no, um, because I would do it exactly the same way again. I mean, it was just, it was just all in. It really was. It, it, I don't know. It was just such a positive experience, and and I think you know you do. It does make you an adrenaline junkie. That's yeah. that like the thrill seeking adrenaline junkie for for probably thirty years. Like. I had to have something going on, at least one thing at all times. It's finally, you know, finally in the last like five years, I'm like, oh, I'm finally getting a little tired. Okay. <laughs> My tired is like somebody's normal. Normal. Yeah, that's normal. I love it. All right. I know we have to wrap. We're going to do very brief, quick fire. Okay. What is the first song you remember singing in public? Everything's Coming Up Roses. Oh my God. Of course. Um, first Broadway show you saw? Gypsy with Angela Lansbury. Oh my God. How cool. Um, do you know Annie's birthday? October 29th, 28th, but you're so 28th. close. Um, you know why? Right. Because, because of my kind of brain, 
it, I think it was the 29th, and they changed it for some reason. That's so I'm aware, random. Once, I love it, once it's okay. in my head, I'll do it like wrong for 20. How many times do you think you've sung tomorrow? Too many. Okay. Um, one word to describe the 1982 Annie movie. Hollywood. <laughs> um, okay. What do you want on your bagel? Butter and a little schmear. Okay. One job you will never get over not getting. Crazy for you. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, what is the number one question you get asked? Um, do you still sing? <laughs> and how? Yeah. Um, did you see Annie Warbucks? I did. It was I, charming. It was charming. And Catherine Zaremba, the little girl in that, I'm sorry, was, I just, I really wanted to see her in the proper production because Agreed. I just thought she was pretty much a perfect Annie. She's a perfect Annie. Feel free to listen to her episode of this podcast, Little Me Growing oh, Up Broadway. I love, okay. And I love her and her whole family. They're just such neat, neat They're people. They're great people. They are. Okay. And I, I, I adored her. I just, I was very excited over her. Do you have any Annie memorabilia in your home? No. Great. Um, how do you explain to your granddaughter that you are Annie? <laughs> well, the other day, that's so funny. I said, I think Mila has a little vibrato all of a sudden. I'm hearing that. And then my daughter, Alexis, said, do you know what vibrato is, Mila? And she goes, yeah. And you know when a kid says yes, and then they like, I have no idea. And my daughter said, well, what's vibrato? And she goes, tomorrow. That is amazing. I thought that's a pretty uh, brilliant answer. Andrew McCardle, tell the people where they can follow you and find out what's up and your dates with John Lloyd Young and everything that's happening with Andrew McCardle. Well, look on Think Iconic, uh, Wayne Gmitter, my manager's site. And so all of my tour dates are there, andrewmccardle.com. I'm so horrible. I think there is an andrewmccardle.com. I know we have it, but have I been on it recently? <laughs> no, that's that's my right. goal. That's my goal for the next year is this, Great. this social media thing. It's just... When you, when you were there during like, you know, the old glamour days and, and you didn't have any of these things, we didn't write anything down, nor did we like sign contracts that were usually handshakes. So yeah. I'm going to have to like move up into now, now we got to get, yeah. well, I have to let you go. Mila's here. Hi, Mila. Say hi. <laughs> I can't believe you're a grandmother. You're the most glamorous, gorgeous grandmother of all time. Oh, oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm called Gaga. I'm her, Gaga. I'm her Gaga. Yeah. Right? Well, we love that. You know how much I love you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network, and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.